This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seif and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. And we have one topic of conversation this Saturday. Boris Johnson's legacy. What is it? It strikes me, Fraser, that there is a kind of paradox about Boris Johnson, which is he is going to be a relatively short-lived Prime Minister, but also a deeply consequential one. Because you know, he was the Prime Minister who got Brexit done in inverted commas and obviously handled the pandemic and I think also changed the nature of Tory electoral support and the kind of coalition that the Tories appealed to. When you look back, how lasting and permanent are the changes that you think Boris Johnson has brought about? This is, as you say, James, the great paradox. I mean, he, was, he only made it for two and a bit years. And yet his interventions in public life will have changed Britain more than probably anything that David Cameron did anything that Gordon Brown did, anything that John Major really did, insofar as Boris Johnson's intervention in the Brexit referendum campaign was probably decisive. And also, Brexit was running into the ground. It might never have been done under Theresa May. The deal she's going to do with the EU was not really Brexit at all. But it looked, it really looked to all of us then, at the time, as if this was the best the Conservatives could really pull off. So only Boris Johnson emerged as this kind of revolutionary character, this rule-breaker, this maverick, who managed to break the logjam to get a clean Brexit done, to, and also to vanquish Corbynism. We forget how um, Jeremy Corbyn was electorally popular enough to deprive Theresa May of her majority. Only Boris Johnson was able to turn Corbynism into a defeated force, yielding an 80-strong Tory majority. But the strange thing is, and I've often thought this, like one of my great heroes is Lech Walesa, the solidarity leader who overthrew, helped overthrow communism in Poland. And he wasn't a particularly good leader. And this is a trend which you see in lots of revolutionary characters, that the characteristics you need to break a logjam, to make the impossible happen, to turn everything against the odds, involve basically insurgency, they involve refusing to abide by the rules, they involve radicalism, they involve a kind of all-or-nothing approach. But once you achieve that goal, then a very different set of skills is required. That's to sit down to govern, to try to build teams, and Boris Johnson wasn't any good at that, for reasons that still mystify me, because, I mean, here we are sitting in Boris Johnson's old office, and I, I've inherited so much from Boris Johnson's era, not just the furniture, but a lot of the columnists, certainly. I think he was one of the most successful editors The Spectator ever had. It took me years to try to get sales back up to, to where he left them in 2006. And he did that by building a team brilliantly. But it was his failure, his inability to do this in number 10, that ultimately defeated him. And it was his attempt to um, impose a presidential style of government on a parliamentary system that I think was his major problem. He is not a Westminster creature. He is a maverick. He's quite a loner. He doesn't have much in the way of close friends. So as a result of that, he struggled to really trust and confide and build the tenants. He could have handled Michael Gove. That would have been a dream team, I think, had the two of them stuck together. 
as it turns out, probably the biggest mistake he made was Dominic Cummings. Because if you're going to have a chief of staff, you need to be able to trust them completely. And trust them, by the way, not to spend their time taking notes to try to destroy you once they leave. So, and Dominic Cummings, he had a, this, this Napoleonic form of government, which he wanted Boris to do, whereby number 10 would give orders to the cabinet and their job was to carry them out. So again, you've got the presidential system imposed in the parliamentary democracy. And then you've got the two of them were rewiring government to try to create this more, you might call it streamlined, others would call it dictatorial form of government. So by the time Cummings left, there was this sort of quasi-dictatorial apparatus without a dictator. As a result, everything depended on the quality of decisions coming out of number 10, and those decisions were pretty bad. There weren't any checks and balances that you have normally got from cabinet government. So I think that explains why his legacy wasn't anything like it could do. Ultimately, team building. But he was so good at it as a spectator, so good at it at City Hall with all of his deputy mayors, was his great weakness in number 10. And that's why, despite having achieved so much, he lasted such a short period of time. Katie, what do you think Boris Johnson's position in the Tory party now is? Is he going to become a kind of Margaret Thatcher-style figure with kind of, you know, lots of kind of aspiring young Tories coming to kind of pay homage, you know, with a kind of view of the world that causes trouble for his successor? You know, is he going to be the kind of king over the water of a great lost leader? That's definitely the narrative his supporters are trying to push. And I think it was striking on Tuesday when things really turned and you suddenly got the sense that it could be Boris Johnson's last week, that some of his supporters were actually making those Margaret Thatcher comparisons, saying we've got to think about what happened with Margaret Thatcher in an attempt to overthrow her, and which was ultimately successful, and will the party make the same mistakes now? So that was the narrative some were pushing. I think in terms of what Boris Johnson will do now, well, he's a very divisive figure in the sense there's some who do think that you need a candidate who pays homage to Boris Johnson. It's been interesting looking at figures such as Liz Truss, who said he made the right decision but then started crediting all the things that Dan has suggested being a very good Prime Minister. Then others who think any association to Boris Johnson is going to be toxic in a leadership contest. I think that you can see from Boris Johnson's own comments the narrative he's trying to create and one which is effectively to say this is all MPs, it's not particularly what the country wants, suggesting it's a few points behind. And I imagine whether he remains as an MP, which some are expecting at the moment, or as a columnist, he is going to be this figure who, I think he said in a speech he would offer as much support as he could which doesn't really <laughs> I don't think I take it as a cast iron guarantee that he's going to be that supportive and I think that he will be there to say to suggest that he would do things differently and I think given Boris Johnson occupies so much space in politics and it is often the Boris Johnson show I think it's going to be difficult for a new leader to do the same and therefore having Boris Johnson still around in politics whether it's you know, writing or speaking in the chamber could dominate the airwaves dominate the time dominate what they're doing and make it hard for them to do so I think that speaking to figures in Downing Street who did not want Boris Johnson to resign ultimately feel as though they are forced into it and they think the party has had a moment of madness they're going to come to regret. Their view is that the coming weeks and months are going to vindicate Boris Johnson. The leadership is going to be so chaotic, this contest, and so messy that people will come to regret it. And I think if the people closest to Boris Johnson are saying that, that is clearly something that Boris Johnson is being told and perhaps thinks too. Fraser, what is Johnson conservatism though? Because I think before Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, we'd have thought that it was a kind of anti-nanny state, live and let live, kind of freewheeling approach. As Prime Minister, that wasn't quite how he governed, though, was it? 
It wasn't, and that was the greatest tragedy. I mean, he spent 20 years as a writer laying out to this quite coherent and attractive view of a kind of Merry England's conservatism. Liberal, trusting the people. Because critics would say he was inconsistent, but I completely disagree. I think it was all there. And broadly, it was certainly consistent with his editorship of The Spectator, consistent with his time as city mayor. But when he got into number 10, he was simply unable to control the forces which stood opposed to him. The best example of this was lockdown. He, above all other people, really ought to have resisted the kind of new authoritarianism, illiberal conservatism, call it what you will, that was all set to confine us to our homes with no real scientific evidence. Now, what he should have done, because we now know, because Dominic Cummings has told us that the Prime Minister really didn't like this and he was trying to fight it off, that the Boris we thought we knew, the Boris for liberal, the Boris the Telegraph columnist, was all the time saying, hang on guys, are we sure we want to put some 66 million people under house arrest? But what he was unable to do, for reasons that still mystify me, was, for example, call a bunch of people together saying, OK, Carl Hennigan and others, why don't you do a red team analysis? Why don't you um, conduct a cost-benefit analysis in lockdown? He allowed himself to, to be pushed around by Whitehall forces, and he didn't manage to shape number 10 in a way that he had power to shape number 10. At any point, he could have convened a group of people to scrutinise the more liberal things that some siren voices were asking him to do. At any time, he could have commissioned a cost-benefit analysis to lockdown, and he didn't. I think Rishi Sunak did one secretly. But ultimately, he was, again, perhaps this is because he grew up or came to maturity politically via City Hall, not through Westminster. He didn't know that he was being played by the Westminster system, and he wasn't able to stop himself being played by the Westminster system. And then you have to ask how consistent he really was, because it wasn't too long, James. I think you were the first one to reveal that as soon as he came out of hospital, all of a sudden he isn't greatly in favour of his nanny statism and um, telling people how, how fat they should or what they should eat, etc., and starts going back. And then he was all in favour of vaccine passports for a while. Now, he was the number one critic of Tony Blair's identity cards. You hear they were making a comeback, again promoted by Blair, and this time it was Boris Johnson helping them along the way. So I think this shows the gap between doing what what I do, what you do, writing about how things should be, and being in a position where you've got to implement it. That's far harder. I would say that Michael Gove, who I admire half of the time, and don't admire the other half, is very good at marshalling the forces of government to pursue a certain agenda. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're ill, but he's good at that kind of thing. Boris Johnson has been awful at that kind of thing. And that was one of the other reasons that ultimately he failed. I think if we're looking at where things went wrong for Boris Johnson, I think it's interesting Fraser's point about perhaps the mistake was bringing Dominic Cummings in in the first place. By the way, I don't think it was a mistake to get Brexit done. I think you needed somebody like Dominic to be ruthless, to be monofocused. But once Brexit was done and they had that meeting where they all cheered Dominic, if he'd actually quit the day after, how much better things would have been for Dominic Cummings and how much better things would have been for the Conservative Party and probably the country? Clearly, I think the Vote Leave team and Dominic Cummings brought discipline to Boris Johnson. As Fraser says, that became a problem the further down you went. But it also became pretty clear after they left that Boris Johnson does need a chief of staff who is you know, completely on it and is often giving 
the Prime Minister advice that they don't necessarily want to hear. And I think we noticed that was lacking in later iterations. But I think what clearly we can tell went wrong was I think if you look at Boris Johnson's career in the past he may let go of people they may go their own ways but he doesn't usually end on such bad terms with anyone and I think the fact that the number 10 psychodrama which involved Boris Johnson his wife Carrie Johnson Dominic Cummings ended in such a brutal manner of all these briefings really created an issue where you do wonder if things might have been a bit differently had they managed to almost have a negotiated settlement with Dominic Cummings. Perhaps it was two days a week helping on a science project like ARPA and coming in, but instead it became just so bitter. I think that came from all sides that you saw Dominic Cummings almost on this campaign to, you know, well, he was in a campaign effectively, if you look at his social media and his substack, to oust Boris Johnson from office. And there were times where we said, oh, he's got nothing on the Prime Minister. But if you have, you know, someone who is determined to do that, who knows lots of things, I think just getting to the point where you're not on speaking terms, I think some of that probably could have been avoided. And I think the fighting tool you had earlier on when um, Dominic Cummings first left government probably seems a little bit naive now. Fraser, Boris talked a lot about his mandate. You know, when these ministers went to see him to urge him to resign, he said, I've got a mandate from, from 14 million voters. But it strikes me the problem is that that mandate was essentially to do two things, which was to, to get Brexit done, in inverted commas, and defeat Jeremy Corbyn. Both of those were almost achieved by the election result itself, because the election result broke the logjam in Parliament and kind of vanquished Corbynism. And it strikes me that the kind of ultimately what has brought down Boris Johnson is that ever since January 2020, Boris Johnson been kind of looking for what he was going to do next. And that, you know, you have, as Katie said, you had a kind of iteration when what he was going to do next was, was very much what Dominic Cummings thought he should do next. Then there were other iterations when Boris Johnson was kind of more in control and, and it was slightly unpredictable and it, the priorities changed week after week. But it strikes me that, you know, in some ways, the Tories won in 2019 and then didn't know what to do with that victory. Well, they should have looked for clues in the manifesto which told them what they ought to do with that victory. And one of them, for example, was to protect the public from the rising cost of government by not putting up taxes. And I think Boris Johnson's problem was he began to sort of pick and choose what he thought his mandate was. And also, fundamentally, you needed... COVID, of course, knocked everybody and everything for six. By the time he'd finished with his lockdowns, extended far longer than they needed to be. But all of a sudden, the repair job he had to do, it would have easily have occupied the rest of the parliament, let alone doing the levelling up, which he sort of vacuously promised. So I don't really think there was a lack of things to do. What there was, was a lack of seriousness with which to do them. Take, for example, the Rwanda policy, you know, exactly how you get things that are rushed through without being thought through. It sounds very dramatic, and when you find out it's so badly fought through that they can't even get anybody off the wrong way. Then there is the reason everybody's taxes have gone up is, in theory, to pay for better care home costs to subsidise wealthier families. It turns out that there hasn't been any progress made in that whatsoever. So again, this is you know basic lack of competence in the basic tasks. So I think that you know, a Prime Minister with a big majority could easily have come up with an agenda and rally people around it. It's not so much that I blame him for not being a details man. He is who he is. He's a, a sort of campaigner. But he could have hired a details man. He could have found a details man. He could have employed, we keep saying in the spectator here, that he needed a Stuart Reid. Stuart Reid was the deputy editor who ran the ship here while Boris was off on other priorities while he was editor of the spectator. Their partnership worked brilliantly. 
I mean, Stuart was here, um, you know, making sure every edition came out. Boris came in twice a week and went home. But between the two of them, they did a fantastic job. Now, you didn't have a Stuart Reid character in number 10, and that ultimately was a problem. Katie, final question to you. Have we seen the last of Boris Johnson in British politics? You know, it feels to me like British politics since 2016 has been like living through a kind of box set. Is there one more twist, one more series of a Johnson drama to come? Well, I think the reason Tory MPs are so nervous about the idea of Boris Johnson staying down the street over the summer is they think you can never quite predict what he's going to do. And while he's in, there's a chance that he just never leaves. So... I wouldn't write Boris Johnson off. I think that we've seen him come back from many have been surprised in the past. I think he'll clearly be a presence in British politics. I think he will not be exiting completely and I think he'll shape the debate. As for, you know, will he have a frontline political role? Will he, uh, you know, hold um, a position of prime minister again? It seems unlikely, but never say never. Fraser, Katie, thank you so much for wrapping up a momentous week in British politics with us. We will be here all the way through the Tory leadership contest as we try and work out who Boris Johnson's successor will be. So keep listening to Coffee House Shots. Thank you so much for your company. <laughs>